Today's episode of Darkness Radio is brought to you by Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Head to factormeals.com slash darkness50 and use code darkness50 to get 50% off on upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. That's code darkness50 at factormeals.com slash darkness50 to get 50% off. Welcome in to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Yesterday, I told you folks that I had a bit of an off-the-beaten-path surprise for you, and that I do. There's a book I read this week uh, that I'm proud to present to you today. It's called My Neighbor's Good Life, Mississippi. It is, uh, it's, and also Stories is at the end of it. It's, it's by a, an author by the name of Eileen St. Lauren, and... This book, folks, I'll tell you, is a way of presenting life to you through the eyes of a character. And this character takes you through a journey in Good Life, Mississippi. And it presents life to you through not just life in in Mississippi and not just through ordinary life in Mississippi, but it also brings it to you through a supernatural way of life. It it peels back the veil, so so to speak, but it gives you life and death and all things in between. It even gives you the meaning of life in one chapter. It gives you God and the devil. It gives you the struggles of life. And it it gives you everything in such a unique package from the South. And it's such a good taste of good life, Mississippi. And man, I tell you, when you're done with it, you almost want more. And you get it all through the eyes of Myra Boone. And it's such a beautifully packaged piece of literature that I, I, I encourage you guys to get it. We've got a link in the description of this program. And I tell you, folks, once you read it, you're changed. You say to yourself, you know, I think I've seen everything the way I want to see it. But once you've read it through Myra Boone's eyes and the characters surrounding Myra Boone, you think of life a little differently. Again, the book is My Neighbor's Good Life, Mississippi Stories. And our guest is Eileen St. Lauren. She was born in Hattiesburg, raised in the once two red light town of Petal, Mississippi. She is an award-winning photojournalist, news and feature writer who worked early in her career as a commentator for Nebraska Public Radio and at Smith College Museum of Art. After graduating from Jones College in Ellisville, Mississippi, with an Associate of Arts degree majoring in journalism, she continued her education at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where she received a Bachelor of Arts degree majoring in English. She then continued on with her education in creative writing at the Washington Center, Duke University, the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Her hobbies are gourmet cooking, designing chandeliers, and creating flower arrangements. She lives in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Let's bring her in right now. Eileen St. Lauren. Is it Lauren or Lorraine? Lauren. Lauren. All right. I want to give that French feel to it. It's because I'm French. 
Um, oh, great. Yeah, so I always wanted to give it that twist, but it's Eileen St. Lauren. Thank you so much for joining us today, Eileen. First of all, I have to tell you how much I adore this book. I really do. And oh, thank you so much, Tim. That means the world to me. I, absolutely. And the, and the reason I do, Eileen, is because we look for such different stories and different perspective. And I think, I think people will say maybe that we lack in current American literature, in new characters, in new stories, in new lore, and in, in new freshness, in, in, in what we have today. Everybody says, oh, there's nothing new out there. You hear that a lot. There's nothing new out there. But this really is something new, and it's something that speaks to the heart and the soul. Yes, sir. I, I do agree. I'm a pure and original writer, and... um. I sat down with one word, and I, I actually, through my faith, I, I write a letter, and then I listen to the voices in my head, and I see people. I don't see their faces. I have to actually create the faces, if I if I ever do, <laughs> and it's that's why it's mostly dialogue, and I hear the voices, and they come to me, and I write what I hear, and it works, and I I um. I, I have a compassion, really, for the downtrodden yeah, and the poor and the elderly and the people that have been mistreated, red, yellow, black, white, brown, everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, that tends to come out in my writing and in my, my own life, but especially in my writing. Yeah. And um, that's who I am. I, I love people and the spirit world. I believe in it. Mm-hmm. I believe in the supernatural. I was raised in the same kind of church as Elvis and Oprah and all those, Jimmy Swaggart mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. And um, actually, I was in Mississippi the day he died a really? year and a half ago doing a radio show. Believe that. And the guy doing his funeral <laughs> interviewed me. Really? Before he did Jerry Lee's funeral. I'm like, can we stay for the funeral? <laughs> no. Oh I said, no. I want to go to the funeral. I bet that's a fine funeral. Yeah. But, but having said that, I grew up in that kind of church that believes in the supernatural. Yeah. One way or the other, ever how you see it, you know? Well, and it, well, it doesn't have to be it can be holy, it can be unholy, it can be anything, so to speak. So well, I believe that. Let okay. me let me expound on that for for you real quick, Eileen. Was there ever conflict with you with different areas of the supernatural, or was it a curiosity with you? Did Was there ever a black and white with you where you said, you know what, I can't go down this road, or I can't explore this road because it does conflict with a belief? No, Mm-mm. never. But I did think about what people I grew up with were going to think about me writing this. Yeah, that I did think about. I said, "Oh Lord, they're going to say you're going to hell. You, you're, you're all these bad things." And I mean, I said, I really toyed with that. It was very difficult. That's why this is last published. But I have more work. <laughs> but, um, but you know what? The preachers, the Sunday school teachers, the evangelists I grew up with that are still alive—they've read my work and they love it. Yeah, even the curse words. And I was shocked, <laughs> you know, I was shocked. And they said, wow, girl. And they are, they're like my biggest reviewers and fans. And I was totally blown away. And um, so I feel I'm very happy about that. 
And, um, you know, I do depend on the kindness of strangers Mm -hmm. and readers because most of my friends have passed uh, that I grew up with, all different ages, Mm -hmm. you know, from different things, not the same things. All my neighborhood friends, all my, not all of them, but the ones that might have been close friends. You know, I have other friends too Mm -hmm. that are friends, but they all, they gone. So that, you know, yeah. I don't know. That's I don't have a conflict with it. I don't. And um, I, I love cemeteries. I always have. My mama used and my grandma, Davis, used to take us to the cemetery once a week. And my aunt and uncle sometimes. We'd take a packed lunch. Mm-hmm. We'd just spread it out. We'd visit all the relatives that mm-hmm. were there and tell stories about them. And it was so much fun. Now, a lot of people don't like that. Yeah, I've come to find out most people don't even now that I know. Yeah, and I still love it. I miss it so much. You know, uh, two years or three years ago, I went back to Petal, Mississippi, to a high school reunion. Okay, and uh, my husband took me. I went to Walmart and bought. I I bought like twenty arrangements. You know, one stem to put on graves. Sure. Well, so many people had passed. I had to break them all up and make like 42 out of that. Okay. If I needed even more. Yeah. Because we stopped by friends' houses and so-and-so had passed and the ashes were there. And I'd say a prayer over the ashes for the wife. And my husband said, please don't put me through this anymore, Eileen. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm running through the cemeteries going, where's my granddaddy? I know my granddaddy's here. They have not dug him up, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, it was just wonderful. I mean, for me. But yet other people that we were staying with, my mentor said, I don't even go to cemeteries. I don't know how you do that, you know, but I adore I love them. Why do you think, Eileen, why is it that people have gotten away from that ritual of gathering in cemeteries and remembering their loved ones? You know, I can't answer that. I have um, people didn't go back to visit my mama's grave. You know, I went back as much as I could. It's a long way, but, and I have a friend that goes named Connie. She's a sweetheart and it's hard for her to go because mm-hmm. she, she, she's got uh, um, disabilities Mm-hmm. But she goes and she puts flowers on that grave and my headstone's there. I went ahead and put it there. Yep. And people will call me and say, are you dead? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no. And they said, oh, my God, I saw your headstone. I said, but did you look at the date? Right. They said, no. Right. And I said, well, see, I'm not dead. I just made sure it was there. Mm-hmm. So I, and I even put on it writer before I was published. Oh, so there said, you I go. I publish a, and a book's on it. I said, I got to publish a book because it's on my headstone. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. And they don't go. I don't know. They're scared. Maybe they, I don't want to say they don't care because I know they care. Yep. They cry yep. and they're touched by it and they, they feel guilty yep. about it. I think guilt plays a little bit of it. I think you're but right. I wish I could answer that. I think you're right. I, I, I think there is a little bit of an inconvenience to it. I, I, I will, I will err on the side of maybe bad human nature here and say that we do get a little too wrapped up in ourselves. But mm-hmm. I, I think that also with that, Eileen, I think that also, I think there is a little bit of staring down that hole of the grave and seeing our own mortality and not wanting to face it. I think we, you know, we want to get wrapped up in the here and now. We want to get wrapped up in this life and not have to think about the next. And 
we we have to every time we go to the cemetery. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember the story in, in uh, this book, My Neighbor's Good Life Mississippi, about Sunshine Black yeah. and the ethereal spirit Ambrose Twain. Yeah. And that was a difficult story because I felt like I was the one that had to, um, you know, put her light out. If you know what I mean, yes. You know, I had to be the one to, you know, do that as a writer. Yeah, is is a character, and then he, you know, I said, "What am I going to do with him?" But he took care of himself. Yeah, he just he did took the spirit took care of himself. But that reminded me of being, you know, in in the graveyards and stuff. And I would go here, but I, I don't have anyone to go with me. But I I don't know why. I think you're right. I think they don't want to face a little laziness too. Yeah, a lot of people don't even go back and see their own husband or wife. It's odd to me, you know. I go and I see stuff over the grave, and you know, I used to go to Emily Dickinson's grave when I lived in Northampton, Massachusetts, and her daddy Edward, and all the um, devil worshippers went to her grave all the time. All the and all the Gothic people, yeah, because I would see them. They rode the bus with me. <laughs> <laughs> I rode the bus, and they would put pennies and empty bottles of liquor because they'd go over there and drink. And I would just go over there and look. And, you know, I was inspired when I wrote another book, Southern Light, Oxford, Mississippi. My character tends to think she's Emily Dickinson. Yeah. <laughs> she's She's got dementia okay. by doing that, you know. Yeah. And um, But I thought that was pretty neat. I sat in her yard and wrote some of these stuff, you know stories not all of them but some of them i actually did do that and um right in front of her house wow i never got to go in the house and i don't remember why you know i i, I don't remember why I, I probably didn't have enough money i used to work five jobs over there and take a bus everywhere i didn't have a car oh my gosh and um yeah five part-time jobs wow. that's, <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot of, that's a lot of schedules to to juggle there eileen it really was yeah. and um but and a lot of clothes to change because some of them were like security some of them was working in the um museum mm-hmm. then there was i was a cook i was a chauffeur i was a telemarketer and i was also a library assistant and i had to change for that one because oh you you know had to look better yeah then i was always changing clothes and had clothes on my back with a backpack but uh, i learned a lot I learned how to be thankful for what I have. I bet. I bet you did. Yeah. I bet you did. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, that, that theme of, of being grateful for what you have, it does radiate in this book. Again, the book is My Neighbor's Good Life Mississippi Stories. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, before we, we start to transition to break here in a few minutes, let's talk a little bit about your your inspiration for this book and and writing this book and what got you to assembling these stories and and wanting to write about the themes in this book what is it about wanting to get into a book like this what was it about your own life that inspired you to start to write wanting to write these stories and assemble these characters what's the origin of this book well, the first book that I wrote called Good Life Mississippi, mm-hmm. Mary Myra Boone is in that book, and um, she is 12 and a half years old almost, and she ends up going from Meridian, Mississippi, because of a tragic event, to live with her elderly grandparents in Good Life. Okay. 
and she gets hurt and they've never which they've never met her because she's questionably biracial okay she may have a few drops of negro blood in her oh uh, yeah okay. so oh, oh you know yeah and so her she i, I don't want to give away what happens but she goes there she's thrown into something she's never been around people she never got to go to school she's never been to school and she doesn't speak for like 125 pages of that book it's all the characters talking okay and so that when myra decides she wants to write she writes this book here and these are her neighbors in good life okay that she goes to visit and what inspired me is you know thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself Matthew twenty two thirty nine and always um, my mother always taught us to do that no matter what. Mm-hmm. Some of our neighbors were from hell. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we had one that used to come over. Honest to God, the man used to come over and steal my daddy's tomatoes off the vine and, and call the newspaper and get his picture taken growing the biggest tomatoes in Petal, Mississippi, and they were my daddy's. You're serious. <laughs> And he'd put them around his tomatoes. And my, oh my daddy said, I'm going to kill that SOB. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and my mama said, you know, you're not. No, you're not. He's your neighbor. And I'm like, go ahead and kill him. I want to see that. You know? <laughs> and honest, he would do those things. He was just terrible. And we had, we fed the poor. They would call us up when instead of neighbors, they passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, had nine children. And they were part Indian. And they lived in like two rooms. Mm-hmm. And I remember sneaking down there because I was always curious. And uh, I was raised an only child, even though I have a sister that's a lot older than me. Okay. And looking in their front door one time, and I saw all they had to eat was white bread and bologna and mustard sandwiches. And some of them got a piece of meat and some of them didn't. And that broke my heart. Oh, yeah. it broke my heart as a child. Yeah. And so the the one that was closer to my age he got to where he could use a phone and he would call every Friday and say to my mother, Miss Stringer, Stringer's my maiden name, like Stringer means writer, reporter. Okay. Yep. And he'd, he'd say, Miss Stringer, y'all got any leftovers? And I'd say, Mama say, I ain't get ready. You're going to take Timmy some of this food. So she'd clean out the refrigerator and I would, she'd say, you got the cake? Because he liked cake. <laughs> yeah. So she'd save him some cake. And it was good food. There wasn't nothing wrong with it. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah. And, she, and I would, you know, haul him down there, make three or four trips. And he, I said, you tell him he has to meet me halfway. And so he would, I, begrudgingly, I would haul him down there. And then another neighbor got jealous and got to where she wanted him for her dogs. <laughs> oh, she wanted them to feed her dogs. Oh, and I said, gosh. Mama, don't give her that food for them dogs. You know, she says, I'm not, I'm not. And she would say, y'all can please bring me the food for my hand dogs and all that and all kind of different dogs. Well, he hunted, it was hand dogs. Yeah. And I said, no, we're going to give them to them. And uh, so we we love the neighbors and, you know, your neighbors are what they are mm-hmm. anywhere you live. Right. You know, and um, these people are Myra's neighbors and she and Margie Ann Roberts, who's the preacher's baby girl. And Margie Ann, in the first book, you will learn her mother hates her guts and nobody knows why. All she tries to do is kill her. She keeps choking her all the time. And Margie Ann has to wear scarves to cover up her neck because her mother chokes her all the time. She wears real thick glasses, Coke bottle glasses, but she's smart as a whip. Mm -hmm. And then there's Johnny Paul Russell, 
whose daddy's the town drunk. His name's Russell Russell. And Johnny Paul's never been to school. And he said he wouldn't care if he'd go to school. He'd just so he'd get to go, you know. Yep. But he takes care of his daddy who gets drunk a lot. And he's the janitor at the Merchants Bank. And uh, I believe it's Good Life or So-So Mississippi. There is a So-So Mississippi. Really? And uh, so those three go visit Myra's neighbors for the most part. Mm-hmm. And these, you know, you'll see that. And they, it's just, to me, and I learned this word from my mentor who's passed. He was Charles Edward Eaton in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, a poet and a writer. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved him dearly. We had, we shared the same birthday. He wrote 21 books. And I have them all behind me. I see signed. Yeah. And um, he, he said my work was hilariously sad. Mm. And I think that's true. Yeah. I think you laugh and I think you cry and I think you laugh and then you cry, then you think, you know. And so what inspired me was Myra's neighbors and that's that's what it come to. Have I met these people? No. <laughs> Do I know them? No. Um, the Devil's Wife, which is the middle story, I wrote that here in Chapel Hill because I needed a few more words to get a novel, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I wrote um, that here. My husband goes, what does that make me, Eileen? <laughs> I, said, I said, don't worry about it. It's just a story. It's fiction, you know? And that's who's on the cover of the book, mm-hmm. The Devil's Wife, if you notice, in the yes. L in her eyes. The L in her eyes, yes. Yeah. yeah, this is actually a picture of me when I was 28 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. I was a model. Uh, well, I, yeah, I was somewhat of a model for Naturally You Girl and worked okay. at NBC as a camera operator in studio production. Really? And my husband goes, you're not going to put that picture of you on that book. I said, yes, I am. It's, I said, it's a great picture. I had to picture. fight to get this picture on this book. They wanted to put clouds. Really? And I'm like, clouds? Clouds? Hell no. I said, I said oh, clouds is nothing for I, this book. I think I know why, though. Because you, you talk help. about the Asia blue sky. Uh-huh. I think that's yeah. why they wanted the clouds. I, I, I get that. I get that. That's probably true, but it was too. made it look like a beach read. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> it, it doesn't fit the, this fits, what's on the cover here fits the book. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. somebody said it reminded them of Silence of the Lambs, the cover. Right. It, it does have that feel. I, I, I was shocked because I'd never seen that. So I went and looked it up. I said, it does. It does look like that. Yeah. And um, it's totally original for me. And I picked that sapphire color because I talk about sapphire a lot in the book. Mm-hmm. Yes. To go on it. Yep. Yep. And um, so what else was I going to say? Well, the we'll, Devil's Wife. Well, we'll talk about I, I want to hold yeah. The Devil's Wife for the next segment because sure. I, I want to talk about some of the more spiritual things in the next segment uh, about this book. Because... There is a heavy spiritual theme to this book, and which I'm I'm very, I'm very pleased by. That's, that's something, and it's not just themes of biblical proportions. There, it's very much a, a spirituality that I think anybody of any faith can can read and go, okay, I can relate. And actually, the devil's wife, for what you describe, Eileen, as just a chapter you threw in there because you needed to make it to novel status or what the way you put it, I'm paraphrasing. 
is one of the stronger chapters in the book. It's one of those chapters you go, whoa. And we'll talk. Uh, Great. And everybody told me that, actually. They said, oh, my God, this is your best work. I said, oh, come on. I went in there and sit at that computer and just wrote that story. And they said, absolutely. And uh, it's powerful. Well, again, we'll talk about it in the the next segment because I want to get in depth about that chapter. That chapter really talks about more about choices and talks about choices that we make here and now and how it reverberates through just the here and now into the next life. Yeah, it and can ruin your life, your choices. Not only ruin your life, but yet it talks about redemption at the end, which is amazing. Yeah, and she's kind of, if you notice, she's kind of neutral. Yeah, She could male or fem- female. Right. And, and her name is never mentioned, and that's why you see the L in her eyes. I don't know if you got that. Yep. That was something yep. that I, I didn't know if anybody would get, because it kept coming back to me, and I kept going, no. And it kept coming back to me, to, it worried me to death. Yeah. So I finally just put it there. Yeah. And, you know, because it was just like, I this. And that means that could be anybody. And I like the one thing I like about this this book, Eileen, is is you never come down and say, this is the way the afterlife works. There's never there's never a definitive of, you know, somebody hits a white light, there's a tunnel, they see their relatives on the other side. Uh, there's pearly, I don't know that. Yeah, there's pearly gates. In fact, there's one chapter that you, you alluded to, which was absolutely brilliant and beautiful. And, the glass house? Or no? Uh, um, Uncle John? Uh, you had mentioned it before. It had to do with the writer. Um, which one? The, okay, uh, let me look. It, it, uh, well, we'll... Uh, yeah, it was it was when she was sunshine black. Yeah, sunshine black. Yes, yeah. sunshine black. Yeah, death. The story's about death. Yeah, the story's about that's death. a deep story. Okay? It is a deep story. Hello, I mean, I've looked at all this. This could be sitcoms. It reminds me of the Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock. A lot of people yeah. say I, I remind them of Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, which I think is fabulous. Yeah, <laughs> I just think that's fabulous. And I think kind of it does. I, I got a very, very much a Hitchcockian or not really Rod. Rod Serling wasn't deep enough for me. And he never had the effects, I think, of his time. If he would have had the effects yeah. that we have now, Sir, yeah. Serling really could have turned people on, on their ear with yeah. with the stories he wrote. But I got these images in my mind's eye. And you're very descriptive when you write of what exactly the Sunshine Black story was. And yes, we'll talk about that again in the second segment. I tell you what, let's take our break here because I want to get into this book and I want to talk about these stories and and let people know exactly where you go supernaturally with this book and why I think this book is absolutely perfect for my audience and why they need to go get this book. The book is My Neighbors, Good Life Mississippi Stories. Uh, Eileen St. Lauren is our guest. And again, we have a link in the description of this show so you can go pick it up during the break i tell you folks this is one of those books that when you first pick it up you go what exactly am i getting into here and when you follow myra boone as she takes you around from neighbor to neighbor she's getting to know her neighbors she's introducing you to each neighbor but each neighbor has a life lesson but you live that life lesson through their life and it's not a hit you over the head type of lesson, 
But it's one of those lessons you go, you know what? I've never lived that experience before in my life. And you come out of it a little awestruck, chapter by chapter by chapter. So Thank you so much. When we, when we come back, we'll talk to Eileen about some of these neighbors and some of their life experiences. And you'll be surprised. We'll, we'll talk about the devil's wife. We'll talk about Sunshine Black. And we'll talk about a few of these chapters that absolutely uh, touch me. And, and, and we'll talk about how you can get this book uh, again. And uh, I want to stress to you folks to, to go out and pick up this book. I, again, it, it, it absolutely changed me after I read it. So, again, the book is My Neighbor's Good Life Mississippi Stories. We have a link in the description of this program. We come back more with Eileen here on The Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio. Folks, before we get back with Eileen, I want to tell you a little bit about what you can do to change your life, not just supernaturally or spiritually, how you can change your life when it comes to changing your body and changing the way you eat. Let's talk a little bit about Factor Meals. You know, I've been on a mission to try and get my body better, leaner, healthier. I had surgery a year ago on my heart. I had that ablation surgery, trying to get healthier, trying to get myself better as I get older. The one way I'm doing it is through Factor Meals. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy and incredibly easy at that. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. It's so easy, folks. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus, veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Let me tell you about some of the meals that I have had. These two-minute meals are great. You can fuel up fast with Factors restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. I had a delicious cavatappi and Italian-style pork ragu the other day for lunch, 520 calories. It was amazing. And boy, was it, oh, it was so good. I also had a, uh, I had a Gouda chicken that was amazing as well. It was a smoky Gouda chicken with roasted red potatoes and Parmesan green beans. I could eat one of these every day for lunch for a week. I kid you not. That smoky Gouda chicken with roasted red potatoes and Parmesan green beans was also only 520 calories. You can tell by looking at my waistline. You can tell it in my face. I post pictures every Saturday. I'm up at KNSI. And boy, my face is looking nice and thin. My waistline is getting thinner. And I'm making no effort whatsoever. I'm just eating these delicious factor meals, folks. They're amazing. Also amazing, the snacks and smoothies and more that you get from factor meals. You can discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. These smoothies, by the way, you've got to try these. They have a chocolate banana that's amazing. They have some great smoothies, I tell you. I love the smoothies. You can sign up and save right now. We've done the math for you. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is the perfect solution, by the way, if you're also looking for fast, upscale options done easy. 
And also, Factor is so flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. So you know what? If you're heading out of town, maybe you need to take a break for a little bit. You can do so with Factor. By the way, there's no prep. There's no mess with these meals. You just get these meals. You pop it out of the carton. You put it right in the microwave. You heat it up. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. There's no prepping, no cooking, no cleanup, no nothing. You just heat and eat. I love that about Factor. You have no idea. So how do we go about doing this, kids? It's real easy. You just head to factormeals.com slash darkness50. Use our code darkness50 to get 50% off. That's code darkness50 at factormeals.com slash darkness50 to get 50% off. I'm telling you right now, folks, change the way you're eating. You can do it for the better with Factor Meals. Get some delicious, pre-prepared, chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door and do it the easy way. Just eat and eat. My gosh, you can't get it any more simple than that. And do your body a favor. Start treating your body better and watch the pounds fall off. I'm telling you, it's amazing. Head to factormeals.com slash darkness50. Use that code darkness50 to get 50% off right now. That's code darkness50 at factormeals.com slash darkness50 to get 50% off. Do it today. When we come back, more with Eileen St. Laurent. We're talking about my neighbors, Good Life Mississippi stories. We're going to talk about Sunshine Black. We're going to talk about uh, The Devil's Wife and much, much more. It's coming up next on The Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. The book is My Neighbors, Good Life, Mississippi Stories. And it's quite the book, folks. It takes us with Myra Boone. She's going around to her different neighbors and getting to know them in Good Life, Mississippi. And young Myra Boone is learning life lessons. Not your ordinary life lessons, like how to drive a car or anything like that. These are life lessons of good and evil, supernatural lessons, um, life and death, things like the meaning of life, um, things that we don't normally just pick up at the young age of like, say, 12. And she's very astute. She's very aware. And she's picking up these little minute things about these special people in Good Life, Mississippi which is a special place on its own, even though the people that live there may not think that it's all that special. Again, Eileen, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Eileen St. Lauren is the author of this wonderful book that we're talking about today. I want to ask you a little bit about uh, some of the stories here in this book, and I want to talk about um, some of these stories here. You mentioned Sunshine Black, which is one of the ones that really, really kind of hit me between the eyes here, Eileen. Um, actually, you know what? I want to talk a little bit first. The one I want to talk about, we had talked about cemeteries. Let's talk about cemeteries first. One of the first stories in the book 
involves um, Myra going out to the cemetery. I believe it's with, is it with uh, Mozella? Is that who it is? Yes. Okay. Yes. So she goes out with Mozella to the cemetery, and it seems innocent enough. But to me, this innocent enough story of going out to a cemetery and sitting down one-on-one in what's supposed to be a peaceful place to honor someone or remember someone becomes an exchange between two people in which you, you get a feeling of not only getting to know deeper about somebody and revelations between one person and another, but then you also get, um, you get the feeling that things aren't always what they seem. Can you give us a little bit of a background about Mozella and Myra and their relationship and what's going on in the story? Yes, thank you so much, Tim. Um, Mozella is a, was a, voice that came to me and she's a negro and she was a slave and she was mistreated really bad and but she finds hope and i guess you could say her faith mm-hmm. in god and she mara mozella's job is to gather in the lavender okay. and so she's up at four um clock in the morning and I don't know why Myra's up and out that early myself <laughs> and so she asked Myra if she wants to go with her to the cemetery and so they go and they pass graves one's called Purple Thankful I remember that one I believe and you know I, I got that name off of a grave in where Emily Dickinson's buried really? yeah I remember that Purple Purple Thankful I remember either purple or thankful or both, but I did get that name off a of headstone. And so I, I wrote, I wrote Mozilla there over there. I'm sitting in front of Emily Dickinson's house and there's actually a, a police station over there too. And there's a church in front of the police station. Then there's Emily Dickinson's house and there's a, a an image of Robert Frost and Emily Dickinson there. Mm-hmm. And I sat between that and, which is very amazing. It was amazing to me. I took a bus over there one Saturday and I said, I got to write. So uh, I went over there and wrote that story. And when you hear those church bells at the end, count to seven, Mm -hmm. that's the church bells of that church in Amherst uh, calling for five o'clock church. I believe there's seven in all. They ring at the end. And so Mozilla doesn't have any friends and she's, you know, lost children and she looks back on her life and she wishes she had somebody. But when she meets Myra, she thinks, you know, Myra and her share some uh, something to drink and something to eat. And she teaches Myra, you know, a real deep lesson very simply, you know, and that just happened because I was sitting there and it just all came to me. I can't really tell you why. But it's about peace, you know. I used to know someone, and I know a lot of people now, that say, I want peace, I want peace. Mm -hmm. And Mozella, even though she's been through hell, and she's, you know, delivered her own babies and lost them, she has peace because of her faith. And Myra learns that from her. 
you know, what peace is really about. Peace is an inside job. Yeah. It's not an outside job. It's not where you are and who you are and who you're married to, how much money you got, a car. It's none of that. It's inside. And if you have peace, you can't buy that. Nobody can take that from you. And um, it's just really wonderful thing. I actually have peace, you know, and mm-hmm. that's one of the things I have. And, okay, everybody go ahead and start on me. Uh, but people do try to, uh, you know, stomp that joy out yeah. a lot. Very true. But I actually don't, I have peace. And I learned that, too, from writing this. And uh, most of it broke my heart, too. Yeah. She broke my heart. And um, I didn't think about it till later. I don't even think they got lavender in Mississippi. <laughs> 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 but it doesn't matter right. because – Good life is 1,500 miles square, and it could be heaven or hell. You know, it could be. I'm not Catholic, by the way. I'm, I'm not. Like I said, I was raised um, <laughs> in Pentecostal Church of God Church. Okay. And, um, but a lot of Catholic people think this book is purgatory. They think it's before they all get into heaven. They're all in hell. <laughs> you know, I was going to mention that in the first segment, that when— yeah. Throughout the throughout the book, different characters mention that they don't know if good life is heaven or hell, but they mention they think it's heaven. There's some characters that mention they think they're in hell, but yeah. they know that it's at one point they say it's beautiful. At one point they say they feel like they're stuck. And at one point I thought, are we talking about purgatory here? Yeah, I, I, I tend to think so. My Catholic friends definitely love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I don't know nothing about much about purgatory myself, but um, I do know a lot about Mississippi, and I always felt like I was in heaven and hell both. <laughs> you know, okay, everybody get mad, I don't care, but I feel that way sometimes when I'm there, you know, and uh, it's just the spirit that's there. I mean, it just lingers in the air for me. You know, can, can I, it's still there. Even when I go home, I feel it. Yeah. I feel it. Can, I, can so, I share with you what my grandfather told me, what he thought was purgatory when he was was having his heart surgery? I've told this story absolutely. before on the, on the show, so I'll make it brief. Um, my grandfather, who's been passed now for almost 20 years, uh, told me when he was having his heart bypass surgery and they stopped his heart, he believed he went to purgatory. You know, he was his soul was being uh-huh. held uh, while he was having his heart uh-huh. worked on. And I said, well, Grandpa, what was purgatory like? He said, oh, it was exhausting. I said, exhausting? He said, yeah. He said, I was in this beautiful field, but in this field there were rabbits as far as I could see. I said, rabbits? And he goes, yeah. And I had to feed them. And he said, and pardon my language here, Eileen, because I'm a gentleman and I'm with a lady. That's okay. And he said, and there was shit everywhere. And I had to clean up the shit and I had to feed the rabbits. And I had to feed them and I had to clean up the shit. And I'm cleaning up the shit and I'm feeding the rabbits. And it never ended. Oh, my goodness. You know what? My mama raised rabbits. We had a rabbit tree in the backyard and we had over 500 rabbits and I used to have to sweep under the cages and we sewed the pellets for fertilized and we, we, it's called Miss Stringer's Rabbits. And every Easter, we sell hundreds of rabbits. 
<laughs> Congratulations. I know all about rabbits. Congratulations, is, you were in purgatory. That, <laughs> yeah, that is hilarious. Um, well, you know, I know he didn't like that because my daddy never did one thing back in that yard. Yeah. And it was always just me and mama. There you go. But uh, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I was close to death um, uh, after my first book. Yeah. I worked so hard. Yeah. Really? I worked. Yeah, I did. I almost died. What happened? I had 72 hours left to live. Well, you know what happened? I didn't know how to really market that book. That's why it wasn't, I think, a bestseller like these two. But it's okay. I think they can all be movies one day, sure. sitcom or whatever, episodes. Um, there's a reason, I'm sure, for that. But I, I got my iron down because I was only eating like once a day. And I was so devoted and so busy. I'm still not caught up from that first book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm ashamed to say. And um, and I had where you're like, I don't remember. Say you're supposed to have 150 iron. I had uh, seven. Oh, my gosh. And, and so, you know, I, I was turning yellow. Mm-hmm. And my friends, I said, why didn't you tell me I was yellow? And they said, well, we thought that was makeup for TV or, you know, stuff. I'm I'm like, who wears yellow makeup? Right. Right? Hello? And so the doctor called at 11 one night because I got to where I was (gasps) like this. But, you know, this is true. It's not a purgatory, but I I couldn't get up. I couldn't pick up a cup. I couldn't wash a dish. And I said, I was thinking about who to give what to. It was all working in my head that I was going to die before they even called. So I was thinking, who do I give my watch to? And, I, and then all of a sudden, I thought, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be here anyway. Yeah. And I was telling my husband who to give this to. And he goes, stop it. Stop it. Stop talking to me like that. And I couldn't even, like, raise my arms to take a shower. That's how weak I was. They oh. said I should have collapsed. So they called at 11 one night and said, get her to the emergency room now. And I got there and they gave me two pints of blood. Wow. Two, you have five, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they kept me two to three days. And I had to go for iron therapy for 16 weeks. It was terrible. Oh and gosh. they said if I'd waited till Saturday, that was Thursday, 72 hours, I would have probably been dead. And so I, I worked myself to death is what happened. Wow. I wanted so bad for that book to be successful. And uh, that's how much... You know, I, I worked so hard on it. My doctor said, you think you're an Olympian, you know, but it meant a lot to me. That's all I can say. That's why. But so anyway, my brain was saying, you're going to die. I knew it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but nobody would have thought I was telling the truth. I was thinking of what to do with what. I was already like, you know, my watch, my jewelry. That was most important. My books, who to make sure it got published. Mm-hmm. I was already working out in my mind what to do, and, and then I started verbalizing it, and that really scared the heck out of hell out of my husband. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, you know, if you remarry, dude, he said, stop talking like that. Right. And I said, well, you know, I, I I don't know. I just knew it. So it was very odd to me that that happened. Maybe that happened for a reason. I don't know. Wow. But uh, I tend to feel what my characters feel. I don't know if you felt any of it. I, yes. The, the fact that, and, and again, kind of coming back around to the, the different stories here in the book, when, when, I, was, when I was reading the chapter here, and, and I'll get back to the, the chapter with Mozella, you're talking about peace, and you're talking about how Mozella had to come through 
hell and high water in order to get to peace. Yeah. You you describe physical injuries. You describe birthing children and and coming through the the trials and tribulations of slavery and and having to get through what she had to get through in order to obtain peace, which again is an inner thing, not an outer thing. Nobody awards you peace. You find it. Right? Yeah. And, and her husband, she was originally from New Orleans, I believe. Mm-hmm. And her husband used to call up the spirit world. You remember that? Yep. I believe that he called up the spirit world. So she was used to that. Yeah. She was used to dealing in the occult, you know, voodoo and stuff like that. Yep. But she found her peace otherwise, you know. But she had it. And she, um, there was a Stephen King moment in that book. You know, I, I call it a Stephen King moment. It just happened because I met this person once that had that. I'm not going to give that story away. Okay. But that had the same thing happen to her, and she she pulled her. Uh, she had a veil on. Mm-hmm. She pulled her veil off and showed me, and really? I went, "Oh hell no!" You know. Yeah. <laughs> and and that got in my head. And yeah. sometimes, um, when things get in my head, I have to write about them. Then they get out of my head. Right. And they don't bother me anymore because that what happens in there really bother you. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't sit. I wouldn't read it before I went to bed. Right. You right, know. Right. And that <laughs> would be nightmares. And that moment is shocking. That's why I didn't say anything about it. That moment is shocking. It's mm-hmm. really quite shocking. And again, one of those things that I encourage you to get the book just to read that moment. That moment really yeah. throws you. It throws you as to what this woman has gone through just to get to that moment of peace, which, yeah. again, you, you realize what it is we have to do in this world to get to what it is we want, you know. Suffer. You suffer sometimes to get peace. It's not a, it's not a given, you know. A lot of people don't suffer. I don't know. I don't know any people, many people anymore because they've passed. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to meet new people. Sure. And, um, but Mozella suffered immensely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it was just horrendous. And, you know, you think about it, you know, there people went through that. Mm-hmm. There's been somebody went through that. I believe these people came to me to tell me to tell their story that there was somebody out there that went through it, you know? And, you know, if you don't mind me saying so, I think it would make a great episode. Of a series, yes. each of these stories, like baboon, baboon, baboon. Yes, and absolutely. it's so fresh, it's so original, and it's nothing else like it. Right, right. You're absolutely right, and and they and it's did, not yeah. preaching. It's not saying, no. "Oh, hell, fire and brimstone." No, no. Not, and they all end up in the cemetery. Not all of them, but the yeah. majority of them end yeah. up just like I do. I guess because yeah. I like cemeteries. They, they but would. They find their peace. They find the peace in the cemetery. Ha ha. Uh, maybe that's it. <laughs> peace in the cemetery. That could be the name of the show. Yeah, um, maybe maybe people should go visit people in the cemetery, and they would get peace about it. There you go. There you go. Um, let's uh, let's talk about. You know, there's a, there's a story in the in the book which. Kind of, it hits me where I live because, and I'm trying to figure out how to say the name here, um, because it's easy to read it. It's harder to pronounce it. Is it uh, Ananias? Is that how you say it? Yeah, it's Ananias. It's like in the Bible, Ananias. Okay, it is Ananias. Okay. Ananias. So so you talk about glory when it it comes to this, and you talk about a man who's who's downtrodden in a wheelchair, um, and Myra comes to visit him. 
And I, I think wasn't Johnny with with uh, Johnny Paul Russell's with her. I know that. Yep, and, and, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and they come to visit him, and and he, even though he's in this wheelchair, and it seems like at he he's at his lowest. And a lot of times, and I get kind of the double meaning of the story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Ananias, and then I'll, I'll throw my two cents in here. Well, Ananias, I think, was maybe in a war. Okay. You know, I think he's a veteran because mm-hmm. he's got a little flag on the back of his wheelchair. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, he had a little flag on the back of it. And they go to visit him, and he is so stuck on having Faith. Okay, Margie Ann goes with her too. So oh, one right. after Sunday, Margie Ann Roberts and I went to visit a crippled old man named Ananias. Oh yes, Ananias has got a lot of poetry in him, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> he talks about Eden. Mm-hmm. Okay, he believes he was uh, once in Eden, you know, and and he actually is pretty doggone convincing about that. Yeah. But he his spirit, you know, was in Eden. And he talks about that. And um let's see. There's a there's a point too where he he's talking about a flower and he's talking about the the fact that this flower is a beautiful flower and that he helped raise it. It's one of the, the things he says, and I won't spoil the ending of this story. Um but it's it's at this point that Myra and Johnny, and and I, I'm sorry, the other person that was with them is was Margie uh, Ann Roberts. That's right, Margie Ann. Margie Roberts. Ann Roberts. Yep. Ananias. Aiden, and he he asked for liniment. You remember liniment? Yes, liniment. Yes, he he keeps applying liniment to his his um, back because it, it's obvious and his that legs and his legs. It's obvious that he's he's been broken uh, either in a war. Pain. Yeah, and and he describes to the the crew that uh, he keeps comparing himself to a couple of cats outside that are, I think, tearing something apart. If I remember right, isn't that how cat it goes? birds? Cat, cat birds. birds, yeah, yeah. That are. Um, he says, "Girls, I may not have my back to hold me up, but I do have my mind." That's now right. you know you get crippled, yeah, and you, you don't have something, yeah, but you have your mind. I have a very strong mind. Uh, I fell back June the 7th of last year going to see the Secretary of State about my first book. Mm-hmm. There was a, in the cement, you know, one of those 100 year old two inch, you know, lifts up, you know, where it was up. Mm-hmm. I fell over that face forward. Oh my gosh. And I uh, really hurt myself. So I actually lost the feeling. I killed the nerves in part of the bottom part of my right leg. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so I have a huge problem over there right now. And actually, liniment feels helps it a little bit, yeah. but it's not going to come back. Oh, so we're doing all this neuro- neurological therapy and so on and so forth mm-hmm. with it. So having shared that, I'm dealing with it, and I have a strong mind, and I'm not crying and, you know, I had 10 open wounds. I didn't walk for three months. I had two black eyes. I was just a mess, oh bleeding gosh. all over, wouldn't yeah. get in the ambulance. And I said, no, my book. <laughs> I kept saying, my book. I have a two-third, uh, three o'clock appointment. I want to talk about my book. 
Oh my and, gosh. Uh, see how that first book about kill me? I see this. <laughs> Still getting wounds from that first book. And um I've been to the best doctors, four or five doctors that they can't do anything for me, so I have to deal with it. So I, I see where a lot of this book is coming from, Eileen. Well, this was written before that. Was it? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean this was written years ago. Wow. Years and years ago, yeah. And this didn't come from me at all. And uh, But see how it applies to people? It does. Well, you know, when I read it, I, I related to it because, again, as people who listen to the show know, I've got a broken neck, I've got a broken back in a couple different places. I have what's called charco wow. foot, where my leg bone went through my ankle and my foot. So when I read Ananias, I go, hey, I relate to the story, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll make fun of him. The town people, you know. Well, now my shoes squeak. Okay, this is mm-hmm. a neat thing. Yeah, yeah. The good feet store. Okay, and they I may love. want me to do a commercial. They they got it all the way to corporate, and I'm going to do it if they really? want me to. I swear I'm going to do it. I love but the good feet store, by the way. <laughs> it works. The doctors don't want to hear about it. No, mm-hmm. they don't. But it works. Took yeah. away the pain. It does. It does. It Absolutely. Took away the pain. Absolutely. But my shoes squeak. So everywhere I go, I sound like a four-year-old with tennis shoes coming in and out of the rain. <laughs> and people look at me, and it's so embarrassing. And I told my husband, and we were in Aldi's the other day, and I said, I'm embarrassed. My feet keeps are squeaking. He said, Eileen, don't worry about it. It's a situation. I That's said, right. What is the situation? I said, he said, it's going to pass. I said, no, it's not. It's, they're going to always squeak. What am I going to do? Here comes the squeaky, you know? And um, so I have to deal with that thing. And but and my leg is not going to get any better. So I keep yeah. a TENS machine on it. Yes. You're familiar with that 24-7. But the, and, uh, the idea. I just started walking again two weeks ago. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. The idea, though, is here, Eileen, are you comfortable? Are you comfortable in the shoe, and does it help? And if it helps... The shoe helps a lot. Yeah, then who cares about squeaking? Well, you know, everybody looks at me. They turn around and look. I feel like I need to hold a book up or something. Yeah, you just wave at them if they look at you. wave at them. I'm just horrified. Just just wave and say... didn't find me at first, but now because I went to a book club, and there were eight, nine ladies there, Mm -hmm. and they said, you squeak. (laughs) (laughs) I said, but I I thought, well, I don't smell or anything, but they said, you squeak. Can't you do anything about your squeak? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not really. I'm like, oh, gosh. But I called them and they said they don't know what to tell me. They'd never heard of that before. Hmm. But that story about Ananias, he's in pain. He's broken to pieces. He's he's they've made fun of him. They throw pennies at his wheelchair. Mm -hmm. He can't get around. Right. And he looks out the window and watches the birds tear things apart and thinks about when he was in Eden. Was he? I don't know. He may have been. He may have been amid the firmament. Right. Yep. It's possible. It's possible. Everything's possible. In my books, everything is possible. That's right. That's Life right. and death. Coming back to life and dying, it, everything's possible. That's right. And not dying is possible Then for years because in Sunshine Black, I'm just skipping over to that. Oh, wait, wait. You know, we'll get there. That's where I'm going yeah. next. But, okay. but uh, just to wrap this one up, Ananias yes, has sir. a moment of glory. You'll see what that moment of glory is when you read the book. Yeah. 
There's always it's that, about glory. That's and glory right. is on the other side. But he has a moment of glory. God gives that to him. Mm-hmm. And that gives him that feeling inside, like you said, but are you in pain? Yeah. So when he gets that moment of glory, he's not in pain at that moment, That's I don't right. think. No, I don't think he is either. I don't think he is either, which was because one, sometimes wonderful that movie. happens for me. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't last forever. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. It's like if you eat a chocolate pie, it may be really good, but then it's not good to eat every day. That's not a good example, but that's all I thought of. But if that he has that moment, he has a moment of, of, of glory. That's right. And that's huge. That is. That's huge. And it, sometimes that moment of glory is worth every single bit of pain that you go through. Yes, sir. It's true. That's right. And that's it right. gives you hope for more. That's you know, right. God is with you. You know, somebody's looking out for you and you know that, you know, you can turn it into something else, That's you right. know, That's and right. people don't visit people anymore either, any more than they go to the cemetery. That's right. And all these people, I'd give anything to know people to go visit because I, I, I grew up doing that. That was just part of my fabric. It was a given. Yeah. And those people so appreciated seeing us. Mm hmm. Oh yeah. my goodness, they so appreciated seeing us. Yeah. And and uh, I didn't realize it at the time, you know, till I knew it, but I didn't know it till, you know, 20, 30 years later, yeah. how really much it meant to them to see somebody. Very true. And um, Very nobody true. does that anymore. And I know there's got to be people that are sitting at home wondering, you know, what's out there? Is there anybody? Nobody cares for me, you know? You're very right. There are. There are. There are people who are homebound or disabled or, or, or people who are in pain or people that are, are infirm or, or however you want to put it that, that do need, you know, some companionship, even if they don't need anything done for them, uh, maybe just need a visit that, that uh, aren't able to get that. So, yeah, you're right. And I'm sure there are organizations out there that, that arrange uh, for people to visit other people, you know. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. So. But if you have an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or a neighbor or anybody that you can like stand for 30 minutes or an hour, yeah. go get them a flower, go get them a candy bar, go get them an orange or whatever you can get them. Get yeah. them more than an orange. Yeah. And um, go see them. Listen to them. Yep. You know? Yep. They need somebody. Everybody needs somebody. That's right. You're absolutely right about that, Eileen. That's what my work's about, too. Yeah. It's about loving everybody. Yep. Absolutely. And that, ugly. That, Ugliest that, thing there is, you know, that you think, you know, going and just looking over that. I can look through to the heart. Mm-hmm. That's another gift that I have. I don't see that color. Yeah. Yeah. In people, which is really good. Yep. But not many people have that, you know. That is true as well. Yep. Okay. And that's, Sorry. No, that's fine. And that's 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 also very apparent when you read this book as well. Again, the book is My Neighbor's Good Life Mississippi Stories. Let's talk about two more stories before we leave everybody here today. One of the stories that really touched me, Sunshine Black, and it, it does involve death and what we perceive as death. And there's a couple of different characters here that Myra runs into uh, when she's talking about death in general. And this isn't death as we generally perceive death, Eileen. It's, it's uh, when we talk about sunshine black and death, and we're talking about the story of death here, Myra runs across death in a way that we don't normally 
perceive it. It's not the white light. It's not, um, you know, it's not relatives at the end of the tunnel. It's, it's really different. She's led to what she perceives as death by a character by the name of Ambrose Twain. And Ambrose Twain asked the question, would you like to see my heart light? Yeah. And yeah. she, of course, is curious. She's a little, uh, she's a little trepidatious about it because she, she, said, she said it didn't feel weird. It didn't feel skeevy or anything like that. Of course, she does because it feels like a pure notion. So she says, sure. And she goes on this journey. Then she realizes that Ambrose is carrying a torch for someone, as I understand it, on the other side. Am I getting that right? Yes, she hadn't gone anywhere, actually, yet. She's she's in limbo, I would think. She's in a glass-lighted coffin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, she's a beautiful Negro woman who appears to be sleeping in a lighted coffin. Yeah. And he's an ethereal spirit, which he, you know, Sunshine Black, think about it. That name just came to me. Yeah. Sunshine, right, is the light, and black is the dark. Right. It fits her. And she's in limbo, and he's carrying that torch for her, and she had wanted to be a writer, is, is my understanding, and right, that's true. Mm-hmm. And and he is like an angel, you know. I think because he talks about Goshen, you know, and yeah. in the Bible, Goshen is where the angels lived, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I think he's like an angel, you know, that's, that's been yeah. watching over her soul. Yeah. And for some reason... God only knows, because Eileen doesn't, that he needed to, Myra, to read things that she she had, like a manuscript, right? She read some of the things Sunshine had written about her father and her mother. And then she goes on to help him uh, set her soul free. And she does read about death which I think is pretty fascinating. I mean, I don't have this memorized. I can read this sentence. I think this is a good sentence. Yes, please. Death. When the sun's eclipse enters the hidden part of man, there is neither day nor light, only silver sheets of rain that gently entrance enter the mind's bluest eye without warning to its musical spears. Like a gift thrown down by God to me, Ambrose Twain entered my life on a blue and white cloud, floating amid a feigning sky decorated with early sapphire stars disguised by nature as a man. So angels can come to us in another form. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's ethereal. He was disguised as a man. Yep. We became one. He was my first mistake, my original sin. Oh, we know what that means. Mm-hmm. My second mistake was keeping Jeremiah's pistol underneath my pillow. That's her father, and they'll find that out as they read. Mm-hmm. And 
the other is just so deep. I hate to even read it without people reading the whole story because it's it's deep, but you're going to get it. You know what I mean? Yep. It's it's deep, but it, it works. You know, yep. he calls her Ashes of Rose, you know, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Ashes of Rose, uh, you know, is just something, you know. Yeah. And the night is alive. The flowers are alive. There's a swan that's alive. There's the ladder, like in the Bible, that the guy built to go into heaven. You remember that guy? Yeah. You remember his name? I don't remember his name right now. Jacob's Ladder. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. There's that ladder she has to climb down to get into the peace garden mm-hmm. where the lighted coffin is. And he, for some reason, you know, you've seen those movies with John Travolta and other people in them, and they're angels, and they have to go back. Or that one with Patrick Swayze called Swayze called Ghost. Yep. They have to go back, but they don't want to go back, or they, there's, there's some reason they're still here. And he had that hard problem. He didn't want to go back, or there was some reason he, he, he had to release her soul. Yep. That was why he couldn't go back. And so um, Myra, because of what her calling is in life, is to write, mm-hmm. she was uh, chosen to help him release the soul and write their story. So that's the part about that. And I think the ending is just, um, I love that ending. I do too. Myself. Yeah. I was a little iffy about writing it because I thought, boy, the church people are going to get mad at me. But (laughs) (laughs) nobody has, you know, nobody did. But, you know, they know my heart, you know, and this stuff can happen. Sure. Real or not, fiction or not, I tell you, I believe it can happen. And if you believe anything can happen, it can. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people believe in angels. Mm-hmm. People believe in ghosts. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Are they real? If if you see one, it's real. That's right. If you have the experience, I believe it's real. Okay. You know, yeah. my name, Eileen, means light. Yep. St. Lauren means my whole name, when and I didn't even take the St. Lauren. My middle name, my maiden name was Stringer, right? Mm-hmm. So I put ST in Massachusetts when I lived there. And I, I got my number to my business, EIN number. Mm-hmm. They spelled it out to Saint. And okay. so I said, Massachusetts deemed me a Saint. So mm-hmm. I ended up keeping it because it looked good, right? Mm-hmm. So it means Eileen, God is with the writer of light. So I try not, yeah, it does. I looked it all up and I figured it out because I think that's important. I think whatever your pen name is, it's very important. Absolutely. So I think so. So I tend to be one, like it or not, I don't apologize for anything I write. Now, if I make a mistake or I say something that's wrong, I'll own it. Mm-hmm. I can do that. But I, I make no apology for my work. Yeah. And if you don't like it, take it up with God. There you go. Don't don't bother me with it because I'm not going to read your negative review. I'm not going to read your negative mail. And, you know, if you want to send me a black flower, it's not getting in because i got security. And uh, <laughs> It's probably best not to listen to them. People do that. People yeah. send me 
you know, I've they had do. They send to, you. They send you black flowers. Well, they didn't send me that. They sent me something else. I'm not going to repeat. Okay. Okay. And it's not good. Okay. And um, I'm just shocked by that. You know, and yeah. I don't get that. You know, I think there's just crazies out there for everybody. Yeah. You know, and um, well, there's more good than there is bad. So I'm not going to go go into that. So that just give them time to know that they get get acknowledged. Well, let's talk about one more story before we leave everybody today. Let's talk about the devil's wife. Uh, yes, sir. The story that you say you you threw in there just to get to novel's length, yeah. which. I got to say, it's probably one of the more powerful stories I've read in quite some time um, in a modern American literature book. It's It starts out with Myra and Margie Ann Roberts and Johnny Paul mm-hmm. visiting one of the neighbors who really doesn't get visitors. And if they do, they don't really get to know this woman. But she claims that she's married to the devil. Yeah. Well, ever nobody's ever been to her house, and they all gossip about her. You know, in every neighborhood, in every community, there's somebody that they're going to say something really about, you know, that mm-hmm. nobody knows anything about because they don't ever see her. And this is who this woman is. And so, you know, Myra's pretty bold, and Margie Ann loves to do things. And... Johnny Paul's along up for anything. And uh, so they all go visit her because nobody's ever been to visit her. And so she tells them her story about being married to the devil. If I, and, uh, if I may, Eileen, let me read yeah. the description of her. She was black and she was white. She was slim, tall in stature, her eyes penetrating with such palatable intensity that the color they once were or might still be was no longer totally visible to the naked eye. I know. <laughs> that is quite a description. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this is the deal. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. I don't know if you know this, but I was blind for three years. Okay. Totally blind. Okay. And so I can really relate to not being able to see and having eyes that, that aren't okay. Okay. So perhaps my subconscious described some of that that I saw. You know what I mean? Yep. And um, I'm, I mean, you can't tell now that no. I um, yeah, I have um, limited vision. Okay. And um, but I guess I, I, that too is that she can just really be anybody. You know? Yeah. She can be anybody. She can be you. She can be me. She can be a man. She can be a woman. Even though she's a she, I talk about her as a she. Yep. But she kind of has no gender at the end. Yeah. Not like it is today, no gender. But this woman can be anybody you want her to be. And she is really actually happy to see them and tell her story and um, warn them about things that, you know, People say to you, they tell you anything you want to hear to get you. And it's interesting you say that. I'm just going to give little tidbits here. So she says when she first meets the devil that she falls ears over head in love with him, which is a great line. He he first took me to the land of 10,000 dances. (laughs) 
Now I live in the land of 10,000 lakes. Never been to the <laughs> land of 10,000 dances before. Um, and she says it with a broken smile, which is, is directly from the book. And she says she hated her life then, hates her life now, like many women before me and like me now. I couldn't distinguish between the voices of good and evil. Make no mistake, the devil wasn't my first source of temptation. I had no connection with or to divine wisdom. I had no power to channel the necessary energy to resist. I guess you could say it was by my own choosing that I fell hard and quick for the dances. And Myra asks, what kind of dances? Now, when you hear dances of, or the land of 10,000 dances, we assume physical dances. And she says, no, 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 word dances, beautiful word dances. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Yeah. He told her. You know, he told her what she wanted to hear. He, he, you know, I don't know if when you were growing up, but when I was growing up that, you know, I heard from different people, people say different things to people to get them to do whatever they wanted to do. And they would just sort of, they wouldn't sort of, they would actually tell them whatever they needed to tell them to get them mm -hmm. where they wanted them to be, whether it was to marry them. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they'd lie, cheat, steal, whatever they had to do, you know, yep. to get them to do that. And I think that's what she's alluding to. You know, she's telling them that he told me whatever he had to to get me here. Now, you had mentioned as, as she's talking to them about the fact that these dances are going on. And they're all aflame in a burning bed. I, uh, the, the, there was yeah. one, ten, one hundred, one thousand, then ten thousand, all aflame in a burning bed. That's her quote, as, as she put yeah. it there. As she's telling them this story, they say that they see a tiny diamond shaped mirror that held an initial in the center of her eye. And yes. that initial is an L in each eye. We mentioned it earlier in the program that it's on the cover of this book. Yeah that you see that initial there. And Myra says, the more I looked into her eyes, I found that I wanted to reach in and take out each L and place each one upright on a shelf like two bookends, a pair of bookends that would support her own word dances to we three. Yeah. Yeah. Myra's pretty savvy on that. Yeah. You know, uh, I wrote that. I mean, it, it, it's, I think it says it all, you know. She wants to take those out and put them in a book and support everything she has to say because she knows she has, she's familiar to them too. You remember that? Yep. She feels familiar to them. They're not afraid of her. No. Which I, I told my hairdresser about her. She was afraid, you know. Really? <laughs> she was afraid of her, yeah. More or less, she said, you know, well, she's, things and, she's afraid yeah. because I think it's her own temptation and realizing that she could step into that role very easily. Could be. Yeah. Could be. And what, you know, she shows them in the, the basement of her house. Yes. And we'll, we'll leave that. We're not going to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. But I do want to talk about the, one other yeah. thing, and we'll just tease that there's something in the basement of the house that she takes them down to see that's a mm -hmm. little bit later in the story 
I do want to talk about temptation, though, biblical yes. temptation, because I think that you tease that with something that she offers our crew. And that's mm-hmm. this. She immediately offers them fruit. Yeah, exactly. She just switches and do you like fruit? Yep. And it's on a dime. Right after she tells them her story of how she was seduced by the devil, she immediately then says, do you like fruit? Yeah, and you know what she offers them? Pomegranate. Pomegranate. Just like in the garden. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what, That's what. you know, a lot of people think that Satan offered Eve a pomegranate and not an apple. Right. I don't know if you've heard that, but I heard that. Yes. And I think that's interesting. That was, that's a very clever little MacGuffin you threw in there uh, in, in into this story. To me, the minute I saw that, I went, <gasps> yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. She's trying to she, lure them in, too. She's trying to lure them in, too. And but you notice that Johnny Paul pulls out a double-bladed black jackknife he's proud of, mm-hmm. and he peels that pomegranate and puts them on fancy saucers. And some trimmed in gold and one trimmed in silver, but they don't. Uh, she said, "Let's see." She sees a book on the table, and Myra made out the spine that says "Good Hearts, Evil Hearts." And yeah. the children—I don't believe they eat those pomegranates. They—they they keep avoiding them. Yeah, I think that they intuitively know that they better not eat that fruit. That's right. They don't eat that fruit. I don't recall them eating it. No, no, right? no. You know, but um, but yeah, they look like red, juicy diamonds sparkling amid the silver, sterling silver saucers. You know, yep. And I don't recall them eating it. You know. Then she starts talking about um, loneliness. You know, that's right. And um, she says, "Believe me, loneliness kills." Loneliness is ageless, too. And I was the first to speak up. I believe you. Sometimes, even though I know I'm alive, I feel dead. Inside, that is, I told her. That's Myra. That's how she feels. Yeah, and she starts to relate to her. Oh, yeah. So the the siren song starts. Yeah. Yeah. Then, girly girl, me too, Johnny Paul shouted, then added. If you was to cut me right now with my own double-blade jackknife, I wouldn't even bleed a drop of blood. I know I wouldn't. My pa's the same way. The only difference between us is our ages. Me and pa, that is. Margie Ann looked at us then around the parlor but didn't say a word. She pushed her thick glasses back up into her nose before she adjusted her signature chiffon's neck scar. She was never without one. She wore it to hide the bruises made by her own mama when she lost her temper every other day or so on her. Everyone knew that Margie Ann's mama hated her guts, but no one knew why, though, only that she did. Her chiffon neck scarf was most always tied in a bow. It not only hid her black and blue spots, it made her look like a pretty present, no matter what color it was. She was sporting a pink one, pink one and Myra thinks this funny how folks could find ways to hide or cover up what's going on in their lives yeah true isn't it it is true it is true 
Now, to, to kind of, and, and I'll tell you, we'll, we'll start to leave this story here. But before we leave this story, I do want to say it's at this point that the devil's wife starts to spin the tale. And it's the classic tale you hear when we have sympathy for the devil, and it's this. Well, you know, when it came to the devil and Jesus, it was the devil that got the raw deal. And she yeah. starts to justify. She starts to yeah. justify that he got the raw deal. But then she, she spins it back. But he gave me the raw deal. He treated me bad. Yeah, you got that. You know, I'm very surprised. I'm very pleasantly surprised. I'm impressed, actually. You know, that's exactly true. And, you know, um, that I think is all in my head and my subconscious because since I was four, I've been reading and writing and going to church and knew the Ten Commandments was praying and doing all that and never missed a revival or church service so it's all up here mm -hmm. and um, I think it comes out in here in, in my work you know not necessarily knowingly but subconsciously but then I look at it and I say aha that's what that could be and I think you are spot on with and, that. and she does talk about how the devil seduced her and and mm -hmm. as she talks about it she almost talks about it longingly like you know, it, it was almost like it was beautiful, but then you can feel the, the hurt and the loneliness as she talks about how he let her down. Almost like she longs for it, you know, she longs for him to come back and be who he was, but at the same time, there's that hurt and that pain, and she, she hates that with a passion. And she talks yeah. about how much she hates her life. Mm -hmm. So you wonder, yeah. as she talks about this, is it that she hates the treatment and and hates him or does she hate the fact that he just doesn't love her more and is it really that she wants out or is it just that she just wants him to be what he promised he'd be i think it's a little of both i think she can't get out where yeah. is she gonna go true. to the street true you know, to the road, there's nowhere for people to go. Right. People always think there's somewhere for people to go. They always say, oh, well, they can leave. Right. Nah. I've known a million people that couldn't leave. And, and, and I've known a million people that said to their children, not a million. Right. I've known many people that said to their children, I thought when you grew up and got a job, you could help me leave. Right. They put that on them, right? Right. And, oh, that's really hard. For a child to hear. No, I'm not going to give away the end of the story. Yeah, Be we're not going to give away right. the end, but it's clarity. The ne the story is about clarity. Yes. She gets clarity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's it's an, it's it's encouraging because in our life we do get clarity, especially when we're in muddy waters and we we're trying to see our way clear, but the situation seems so complicated. We've all been in those situations. We tell ourselves it's so complicated. We'll never get out of it. There's no way out of this. And we tell, we always tell ourselves, there's no way out of it. You just don't understand. Yeah. But yeah. then someone People always do that. Yep. Then, and they're waiting for that miracle. That's right. And then somebody or something comes along and turns on a light and you go, of course, that was it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they hope. Yeah, you know, but yeah, you know, I, I see that. You know, I talk to people still that 
that, um, you know, tell me, you know, this, you know, I, I don't know what I'd do if, if so-and-so wasn't here, you know? Yep. And I say, I don't know what to tell you, but I can pray, you know, mm-hmm. and I'll listen and everything. But it's sad. But, but this, you know, these people, that's why I say they're real. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people can't read it. Some people tell me they can't read the book because it reminds them of their own life. Okay. That's what they've told me. And I've had people tell me they had to stop reading because they were crying so hard. And I've had one woman um, tell me, to my surprise, her mother used to try to kill her all the time. Really? (laughs) She said, my mother used to try to kill me all the time, Eileen, growing up. And I said, really? She says, how did you know? I said, I didn't know. And she said, did I tell you? I said, I didn't even know you when I wrote this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, did you tell your dad? She says, no. I said, why not? She said, I just didn't. She says, I don't know why my mother hated me. Well, Eileen. Go figure, right? I w- yeah. Well, Eileen, I would tell those people who who I think gave up because they thought it was too painful or gave up because yeah. it was it was too hard. I would say, go back to it. Because there's times in life where we need to face adversity and and uh-huh. move through it, and this is a perfect way. If you've if you've come to a point in your life where you're at a crossroads, and maybe therapy doesn't work for you, maybe talking yeah. to somebody doesn't do it, but you need to face issues in your life and get over the hump. There's no better way to get through your situation than to see it on a page, and to read about it and think about your own situation. And see how another character went through it. And think about how you'll get through it. Yeah. It's a perfect way to do it. I hope it helps people, you know. I I want them to laugh and be happy. And I also want them to, you know, you know be touched. Yeah. You know, and help them. You know, I write, you know, to, to, to do that with, with love at the center, you know. Because I think, you know. Love is at the center of my work. I hope absolutely, that. absolutely. You know, I'm not preaching. No, you're not. By and, no means am I preaching. No, no, That's no. That's the and last thing that I do. I, I want people to come away from today's discussion by by knowing that by all means, this book is not beating anybody over the head. This is a very no. entertaining book with with these different. I don't want to call them morality plays because they're not morality plays. They're not teaching anybody anything. If anything, they're very entertaining stories that happen to have morality centers to them in which characters have to make decisions. Yeah, choices. Choices. That's the best way to put it. And these characters are very compelling and they have to make these different choices. Um, And in that, you're rooting for them. You're rooting for yeah. them to, to I have... I love my characters. Yeah, you're rooting for I them I hate to, it when they die, cry and everything. It just kills me. Yeah. You know, and, and I love them. I love them. I miss them, you know, and sometimes I go back to them and I sit and I laugh and I cry and I feel like they're my friends and family. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm very connected to my characters. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's how I feel about them. They're yeah. all a part of me, but they're not me. There you go. So don't think that, you know, hey, Sunshine Black is Eileen, because it's not. Yeah. You know, I hate to disappoint you, but it's yeah, not. It's not. It's not you. Yeah. And it's yeah. fiction, you know, and, and right. that's another thing. Everybody believes every word that I write. 
Right. They, they and that's good. That is a good thing. Yeah. It will be one day again. You know, it's a good thing, but it is just not true. You know what I mean? Yeah. People believe it though. They'll call me up and say or write me, I know why you're the way you are. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you don't. No. A, a good no. a good fiction writer can can create a great character and have it n- none of it tied to them whatsoever. It can be an amalgamation of of sources you've picked from or or inspirations that you've drawn from or it could have nothing to do with you whatsoever. So Yeah, and, and I hope one day, you know, you know, Oh, also, I'm not, you know, into, I don't feel like a person has to be one certain religion or anything. If you pray to a tree, that's your business. Yeah. You know, go pray to your tree. That's nothing to me. You know what I mean? I'm not here to change your book, your spiritual beliefs. You know, I just want to touch the world and teach people how not to treat others. Yeah. Don't treat people a certain way. Don't treat them, you know, bad. And if you notice, my characters try to get even. True. Very true. Uh, they do. They they not exactly you know sweetie pie angels sometimes <laughs> because of how they've been treated. They want to get even, you know, but something just holds that back from them. That's right. I don't true. think they get even. No. But they want to. They're human. I mean, they're there. You go. <laughs> yeah. They human. they feel like they're human. Yeah. But they're human. like humans, you know. They're original, and I hope. It would be my dream. My dream was not to be a writer. A lot of people put those words in my my mouth, but I never said that. Okay. Uh, my dream is to have screenplays and series. That way I can reach more people. Okay. It's never been about the money for me. I'm not about the money. I want to, to, to reach people. I want to make them laugh. I want to make them cry. I want to make them think about life in a different way. You know? Yeah. And, and, and love is... I hope love is at the center of my book, you know? Yeah. Well, I could see this book actually being made into an HBO series. I mean, I, I really could. There you go. Just like Olive Kitteridge. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction mm-hmm. uh, about three years ago. Elizabeth Strout, Olive Kitteridge was a three-season HBO series. Yeah. Um, set in, I think, New England somewhere. Yeah. But nothing like my work. But uh, people told me that Myra reminded them of Olive, but Olive's an older woman. Right. It's not like Myra. But I watched it, and yeah. I got why they said that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Totally agree. I just don't know what to do. So if you're, if anybody's out there is a praying person, pray that God would lead God direct and protect me into getting where I need to be with my work. Yeah. And you write me, I will write you back. If you want to be a writer, I will. I would tell you, you know, some of the things that my story, you know, don't give up. Don't don't give up on whatever you think your calling is, no matter what. And a, a thing that was hardest for me is what other people think. Yeah. I, that was, oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that was, you know, a difficult thing for me. I'm pretty I'm getting over that. I'm not quite there, but I'm I'm really climbing that mountain. I hadn't got to the arc of it yet, but I'm 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 almost there. Then I'm going to jump down, jump off. Then really go. go in the next book, you know. There you go. But <laughs> well, I, I can see Good Life Mississippi being one of those uh, HBO series like that would uh, that would really oh. take off. So there you go. Thank you so much. You've been wonderful, and I really appreciate it. And and the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and 
and uh, it's a good book. It's an easy yes, book. It yes, it is. You can read it fast. Yes, it, you it can. moves fast. It does very fast. We've got a link in the description of this program. The book is My Neighbors: Good Life Mississippi Stories. Uh, Eileen Saint Lauren, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, and I appreciate it, and have a long and happy life, and I hope I see you again. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Eileen. I want to thank our guest, Eileen St. Lauren, for joining us today. My Neighbors, Good Life Mississippi Stories is available right now, and we have a link in the description of this show for you to go get that book. Folks, I want to encourage you to go out and get the book. It really is a fascinating book. In My Raboon takes you from neighbor to neighbor to neighbor, and in taking you to each neighbor, gives you an example of different pieces of your life that you'll run into, different lessons in life that you'll run into, and an example of just how we get through those different phases of our life and how different people manage those different phases of their life. And there's some supernatural elements in this book that just will blow you away. That's the only way I can describe it. Uh, She's masterfully crafted this this book uh, to... Really, I, the only way I can describe it is it's it's an amazing work of modern-day American literature. That's the only way I can put it. And I really would like to see this made into an HBO series. I think it would be fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Once again, the name of the book, My Neighbor's Good Life Mississippi Stories. Uh, link in the description of this program. Folks, we're coming up on the weekend. A reminder, be a light in someone's darkness this weekend. In particular, this weekend, we're focusing on the animals. I want you to be a light for one of the animals this weekend, if you could. If you have it in your heart, if you have it in your home, if you have it in your pocketbook. Make an animal in a shelter a member of your family this weekend. You know, coming up at the Palmer House Hotel in May, we've got Potographs for Pooches. I'm part of an event with Tim Miley and Richard Estep at the Palmer House Hotel. You can go to darknessradioshow.com to the events section. You can get your tickets for that event in May. That's one way you can contribute to Eagle's Nest Shelter. That's one way to do it. And let's sell that event out this weekend. Let's just be done with it. Sell out the event. Come see us. Let's have a good time in May. The second way you can do it, go to your local shelter this weekend. And add a new addition to your family. Let's, let's get a new family member this weekend. And let's try to alleviate having animals in shelters. Now, I know it's a, it's a pipe dream, I know. But if there's a way that we can add to our own quality of life while helping the quality of life of an animal out there, whether it be a, a doggy or a kitty or a bird or whatever it is that's, that's out there that you feel the need to help out that animal, enrich your own life, enrich that animal's life, and let's make our own lives a little bit lighter this weekend. I encourage you to do so. Let's focus on that this weekend because, as you know, and and you can go back in the archive and look for Tim Miley, M-A-I-L-E, Tim Miley's program. You'll see just the impact that Murray had on Tim And it is a tearjerker, but I encourage you to go back and listen to that archive as well this weekend. That's about it, folks. That's all I got. We got a great week 
great couple of weeks coming up here in March as we turn the corner from February to March. Hopefully we can warm up this weekend. That's what I'm looking forward to, a little bit of nice weather. Hopefully we can get out and enjoy the weekend. And I hope that you have a great weekend and that you enjoy this weekend. Get out and enjoy life this weekend. That's what I'm hoping you do. For your buddies here, by the way, I've had some people ask what's going on with Bruiser, with Beer City Bruiser. He's had some difficulties around the home. He had a an installer, we'll just put it that way, uh, kind of mess up his home. That's right. His home had some flooding because of a bad installation. So we're hoping to get him back. I hope next week. I'm not going to make any promises. It was a really, really bad botched job. So he had some flooding, some really bad flooding in his home. They're working on it right now. It knocked out the power in his home at one point, so he wasn't able to record with us. So we're hoping to get him back. I know you guys have been patient. You've been kind. You've been sending notes, wondering where Bruiser is. We're hoping to get him back. So we'll see. We're taking it on a week-to-week basis. And please, keep your prayers going for Papa Bruiser. He's still having some issues, some medical issues. So please keep those prayers and thoughts and good energy going for Papa Bruiser. We appreciate that as well. So that's going to do it for this week. Mally Fox, thank you so much for filling in admirably for Bruiser. We love and appreciate you. And we will see you back next week for the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio.